Welcome to 60 Minute Overtime. This is spring 2017, episode 6 on this surprisingly snowy Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Today is February 12, 2017. I'm your host, Danielle McCartan. Again, you're listening to 60 Minute Overtime. Quick shout out to my work, www.prosportsrundown.com. Twitter, at Coach McCartan. YouTube, search Coach Space McCartan. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. iTunes podcast, Coach McCartan on there. An iTunes store, iTunes radio. It's under the show name, which is 60 Minute Overtime, 6-0. And play.google.com. You can search Coach McCartan with no space. Being video simulcast right now on Periscope. And on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, Facebook Live, and you. So today's guests are going to be Super Bowl champion New York Giant David Tyree. You know him for making the catch. And at 11.50 Eastern Time, a.m., Michael Onyamobi. He has the newest Texas Christian University Horn Frog. He will be calling in live. He is uh, one of the biggest recruits in the country for, for football. So Texas TCU, you know, the purple team. Also, adding to the conversation are going to be commentary from my interviews with Super Bowl champion New York Giant Amani Toomer and Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packer Ryan Grant. First up for today is Charles Oakley and the Knicks. This has been debated and discussed and dragged through the sports world since the event happened, I believe it was Thursday night. For those of you who don't know, who are not in, you don't even need to be in the New York media to, he- to hear this story, but in case you don't know the story, I'll give you a quick rundown. <laughs> Pro sports rundown, get it? First, Charles Oakley is a former... NBA player of 19 years. His longest tenure was with the New York Knicks for 10 of those 19 years. Uh, he's also been an NBA assistant coach for one year. He was a first-round draft pick, an all-star, just an NBA legend all and all, all around. And if you don't know, here's the, here's the story. Charles Oakley, after an altercation, we'll say, in the stands or behind the Knicks bench, he bought a ticket to the game and he, he was involved in an altercation he, with Madison Square Garden security. Actually, it momentarily stopped the game. He was brought to the ground after a shoving match. He was handcuffed and led out of the building in cuffs. And uh, the New York Knicks Public Relations Department put out a statement on Twitter. And uh, basically what they said was, and this is the direct quote from their, from their Twitter PR department, quote, Charles Oakley came into the game tonight and behaved in a highly inappropriate and complete abusive manner. He has been ejected and is currently being arrested by the New York City Police Department. He was a great Nick, and we hope he gets some help soon. End quote. So he was actually charged with three counts of misdemeanor assault and one count of criminal trespass. There's been a movement. There's been a movement online for uh, for a lot of the stars now. They're saying we have a hashtag free Oakley. People are trying to cash in on t-shirts for that. LeBron James chimes in, he quote, he says in a press conference, quote, Charles Oakley for president, end quote. Chris Paul chimes in and says, hope that he gets some help soon. Not the right way to portray Oak. Always had my back and the realest person our league has seen. Hashtag Uncle Oak. Dwayne Wade takes to Instagram. Ten years. Ten years Oak gave everything he had for this organization. And the image everyone will be left with won't be this picture, which was a picture of him like in his prime, in the Knicks uniform. Uh, it'll be the image of him t- being taken down to the ground last night in the same arena he gave all to as a player by the guards. Gave his all to as a player by the guards. This could happen to any of us. Hashtag stay woke. We are not above this treatment. End quote. For the record... Oakley has denied being an alcoholic, as the entire Knicks organization told the entire world. However, upon doing a little bit more research, I did find that in 2011 that Oakley filed a lawsuit against the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, alleging that a group assault by five security guards employed by the casino in May 2010. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Furthermore, the Madison Square Garden's arena security chief was fired. Now, Spike Lee, um, if you don't know, if you're not around here and you don't know, but Spike Lee is one of the most famous Knicks fans there ever was or will be, and he put a photo of him in 
Charles Oakley on Instagram with the caption saying, quote, just had a great lunch with my brother, Mr. Charles Oakley of the beloved Orange and Blue. Last night at the garden was not a good look for all involved. The last thing Oak said to me was, quote, this is Spike Lee saying, all I want to do is sit down with Mr. Dolan, man to man, and work this out, end quote. So I'm not sure if that was the same day or the next day, but Nick's owner, James Dolan, further made this uh, issue by going on the Michael K. show and saying that, quote, Oakley will never be allowed to enter Madison Square Garden again, even if he does purchase a ticket. But it's not necessarily a lifetime ban. We need to keep the garden safe for everyone who goes there. Well, that's an end quote there. Well, if it's not, if he's being banned, but it's not a lifetime ban, he, you're saying he'll never be allowed to enter Madison Square Garden again, but it's not necessarily a lifetime ban. Here's Charles Oakley wanting to reach out to this guy, and he gets on the next day on, on the radio saying he wants nothing to do with him. These ridiculous people around here are calling for a ban on buying New York Knicks tickets. That's never going to happen. So the next time I go to a game, if there's someone being obnoxious, I will see to it that they are being thrown to the ground and let out in handcuffs, just like Charles Oakley was. Right? Because that's what he said. He said, um, we need to keep the garden safe for anyone who goes there. Okay, so when you go and the guy behind you is spilling beer on you, that's not a safe environment. When the guy behind you or in front of you or next to you is shouting expletives at you, your, the fans in the, in, the, in the section that you're in, the players on the court, that's not a safe environment. Make sure that they rub their faces in the ground and be let out in handcuffs, just like Charles Oakley was, a paying customer. So let's take a different angle to this. What does this mean? What does this mean for, for the Knicks going forward? Do you know what this means? This means that nobody is going to want to play for the New York Knicks. He hit and shoved security. What was being said? We don't know what the conversation was in between that. Was there a racial slur flung at him? We don't know what that conversation was. Yeah, it does matter. Yes, it does matter. This is Mike, um, Mike Mono Rock 1 on Periscope. Yeah, it does matter. It does matter. How do you handle a legend like that? How do you handle anybody like that? Yes, he hit and shoved security. Sure, you had to drag him to the ground. Come on. And you had to take all five guys uh, all roided up on, on Roy Rage, on Roy Rage, taking this guy out. Come on, man. I met Charles Oakley one time. He was he was a quiet, kept to himself, stayed against the wall. I mean, he, he didn't involve with anybody. He's a quiet guy. Something must have been said. What was said? Mike, do you, were you there? What was said, Mike? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what was said. And if you're keeping your composure, well, maybe the six or seven roided up security guards around him, one of the, the main one of which was fired, maybe he should have kept his composure. Don't you think? Aren't they trained for that? Aren't security guards trained for that? They were nice with him. How do you know? Were you there? You were not there. You don't know. We don't know the facts. I'm giving you the facts that, that are out there. We don't know what was exchanged. So just randomly, Charles Oakley buys a ticket to the game and... and and incites violence? Come on. Come on. These guys are trained to deal with fans, uh, rowdy fans. They are. So how, does, how do they bring a man to the ground and handcuff him? How? They're trained for that. Would they get their pride get in the way? They want to get their TV time or something? Come on, get out of here. Get out of here. So now James Dolan makes it worse by saying he's never allowed into Madison's Garden, Garden again. But it's not necessarily a lifetime. Oh, so that means when you sell the team? Is that what that means? Yeah. Training is a loose term. <laughs> you work for secure, elite security for the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> I'm sure you are, are taught how to get rid of an unruly fan. Am I right or am I wrong? Come on. So what does this mean for the Knicks moving forward? Nobody's going to want to play for the Knicks. That's how you treat the people? That's how you treat people that gave you 10 years of their life? Going back to the article I wrote this week, ProSportsRundown.com, why would Carmelo want to play there? Why would anyone want to play in New York? To witness this absolute circus of a team play basketball is abominable. The front office of this team has no clue. No clue how to put together a team. There is no rhyme or reason to the lineup they put out there day in and day out. There is no plan for Porzingis, one of the best young stars in the game. Harboring Carmelo Anthony for what? Why are they keeping him, holding him hostage? Just let him go. He wants to stay there, I know. Why? 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 They're collecting Rose and Noah. They, what do they do? They just take it from the Bulls so they can't beat him? 
They're just collecting them. Come on. And now this, and Noah can't even make a foul shot. Can't even hit the backboard on a foul shot. And now this, to see how this team treats their legends is despicable. Why would anyone, anyone, want to ever come here in New York to play? This atmosphere is toxic and it's contagious. Moving forward, the Knicks are in trouble. The Knicks are going to be in trouble to get talent on this team. In NFL news, Taylor Lewin, who's the Titans Pro Bowl left tackle, took to Twitter and he said, quote, the NFL should take a page out of the NHL book and let us fight, end quote. That was posted on February 9th to 30,000 followers. Last I checked, it had 586 retweets and 1,000 likes. First of all, we have to take this with a, a grain of salt here. Taylor Lewin loves to fight. This is dating back to his days at Michigan. He's been flagged multiple, multiple times for fighting, 15-yard penalties, all, all, all that. Okay, so just take this where it's coming from. Initially, I was like, what? No way. This is never going to work. You know, it's a cause for injury with everyone is so concerned with concussions. It portrays a Bush League atmosphere. That was my initial reaction. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Then I got to thinking about it. We all know the NFL is struggling in ratings. This could be ratings gold. Why do we love hockey? Because it's fast-paced, scoring can happen at any time, and the fights. Even the most casual hockey fan shows up to see the fights. Even if you have no idea what's going on in the game, you go to the arena, you watch on TV for the fights. My point being, was the entire football world not glued to the TV the next time Odell Beckham Jr. and Josh Norman squared off? After their original throwdown at MetLife Stadium, it was the talk of the country. It was the talk of the world. They were waiting for a fight. Like they got the first time around. Everybody was watching that. If the NFL players could throw down, that could be ratings gold. Right? So then I thought about it even further. Players in the penalty box equals a power play for the offense. The NFL loves the offense. All of its infractions, you know, penalties and stuff, side with the offense. Imagine an 11 on 10 power play where the offense has 11 players and the defense has 10. Imagine that. It would force defensive players to play out of position to cover all the bases. It would force offensive players to just find the open green. It would be like, uh, what's his name, Aaron Rodgers drew it up on his hand, basically, that Hail Mary play. That's what it would be. It's just backyard ball. So would you rather have this situation or a lame 15-yard penalty, which could or could not impact the game, whereas having 11 on 10, of course, is going to impact the game? This would be the new NFL, higher scoring, more fast-paced. Who doesn't love those kind of games, right? If you're, We were sitting at the Super Bowl. The score was like 28-3, boring, boring, and all of a sudden, Patriots come, and they make it a game, high-scoring game. Everybody loved that. Of course, though, this is dream world. The conservative NFL will never go for it. And I'd imagine the players' union would have a lot to say about that. They'd say it's XFL-ish. There's a reason why that league didn't succeed. Or Arena League-ish. But imagine what could be. Can you imagine? Players like Brandon Marshall getting into fights. Odell Beckham. Imagine they were ripping the, you know, in hockey, how they ripped the jerseys over their heads. <laughs> I think that would be cool. I, maybe they should try it in Arena League and see how it goes. Or the, the Canadian Football League or something like that and see how it goes first. But, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I, the NFL will just never, ever go for it. To have a, a pen, players in a penalty box on the side, I think that would be cool. The NFL will never go for it. Under Armour CEO Kevin Plank is under fire. Some of Under Armour's biggest name athletes are speaking out against Under Armour's CEO about the comments he made about President Trump. And here again, here are the facts. Here is the quote. Quote, to have such a pro-business president is something that is a real asset for the country. I'm a big fan of people that operate in a world of publish and iterate versus think, 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 think. So there's a lot of respect there, end quote. I didn't think that was so bad. Stephen Curry gets on, on online or whatever and he says, quote, I agree with that description. If you remove the et, which means asset, remove the et. And he continues on to say, if I can say the leadership is not in line with my core values, then there is no amount of money, there is no platform, I wouldn't jump off. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, quote, comments were divisive and lacking in perspective, end quote. 
And even professional ballerina Misty Copeland's getting involved, and she apparently spoke with the CEO directly. Let's go back to Stephen Curry. There's no amount of money, there's no platform I wouldn't jump off of. Well, none of these three have severed ties with Under Armour, so what are they doing? My point being, what part of that statement was divisive? Uh, I don't know, maybe the quote that says, a pro-business president is something that, that is a real asset for the country, end quote. That's not divisive. That's just stating an opinion. <laughs> Again, I've said it before. You, These athletes... I wish they would just stay out of politics. I've said it time and time again. Stay out of politics. And if you're just going to get out there and fan the flames with these inflammatory statements, why don't you do something about it? Actions always speak louder than words. Why don't you go out and fix this inequality that you're professing? Perceived. In my, in my opinion, this is a perceived divisiveness, perceived inequality. People... You People calling for your hashtag boycott, whatever it is, boycott Uber, boycott Starbucks, boycott Under Armour. Get over yourselves. Get over yourselves. Because Curry contradicted himself by calling him an ASS, but then said he wouldn't hesitate to remove himself. So, Curry, which one is it? I like you. I like you as a player. I like you as a person. But you should really stick to staying out of politics because you just contradicted yourself. And all the people that follow you and The Rock and even Misty Copeland, I I assume as a ballerina, she's got fans too. Unless you're going to do something about it, why don't you just keep your mouth shut and stick your talents onto the field? Because you know what? These boycott everything, boycott the Knicks, boycott the Garden. Well, get over yourself. Boycott? It's never going to work. People have season tickets. They're never going to boycott the Knicks. It's a part of fandom. You are a fan through and through. I'm still a Jet fan. I still go as the game. But this calling for boycotts, this and that. Why should a a CEO making an observation about a pro-business president, is what he said, be bad for business? He's He's a CEO. And also, in a world of publish and iterate versus think, think, think. So he's saying that he's uh, behind someone that's that's going to do something, not just think about it. Can't we all agree that that's, that's better? Things get done? So, I mean, and then Stephen Curry came out first, then The Rock jumped on, then Misty Copeland came. I mean, come on. But none of them are, are, are annoyed to the point where they're going to sever ties with the company and, and the, the millions and billions of dollars they, they receive from Under Armour to wear Under Armour products. No, 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 no. They're just going to fan the flames. They're just going to say these things. People are going to catch on, and that's that. you got to be kidding me. Come on. There was no part of that was that was divisive. It was a guy making it. It was a CEO, a businessman, making an observation about a president who may or may not be pro-business. Nothing, nothing about that. There was nothing in there that should have created any sort of uproar at all. And I think you three need to stick to playing your games. Stick to athletics. Stay out of politics. You're going to lose fans that way. You're going to lose fans that way. I'm Dylan Batanzas, pitcher for the New York Yankees, and you're listening to Danny McCartan on 60 Minutes Overtime. All right, a little lighter news now. The MLB has proposed new rules in an effort to speed up the game of baseball, and they're doing that to benefit the younger fans, the fast-paced fans, the, the, the two watching when you watch a game, they're watching the TV and the phone at the same time. The two-screen fan, the younger fan, they're trying to reach them a little bit better because, let's be honest, the game of baseball is a little slow, right? So a couple of the things that they have, um, uh, there are four changes. Yeah, four changes that they have introduced. Number one being the pitch clock. And we're going to go through each and every one of these. So there's four most important ones. So the number one is the pitch clock. The MLB says, we feel it's been effective in minor in the minor leagues. Now the pitch clock, and this is my opinion now, the pitch clock is a great idea. Right. Pitch clock is a great idea. Football, Think about it. Football has a play clock. Basketball has a shot clock. Volleyball has a ref to count down the seconds to serve the ball. So why should baseball be exempt from you know, putting the ball, a, a time limit on putting the ball in play. Like I said, football has a play clock. Basketball has a shot clock. You can't just dribble around for the whole quarter. And volleyball, as a server, you can't just stand there and, you know, line it up and keep checking it. And No, you have five seconds to serve the ball. So why should baseball be exempt from that? I think, the shot, I think this, uh, I was going to call it a shot clock, this pitch clock is going to be a great idea. 
that's going to be a great idea. Now, uh, second thing they want to do is they want to raise the strike zone to above the knee. Obviously, that's going to take some getting used to, some growing pains. I believe, though, it was done in order to pinch the pitchers a little bit and encourage putting the ball into play, or for the, for the batters to take less pitches. Think about it. If the strike zone is smaller, you have to lay it in there a little bit closer, right, to the, to the batter. So if you are the batter, you're going to take that ball and you're going to put it into play. Therefore, more action and more runs and, and things like that. So I think it's going to result in less strikeouts and less pitches thrown, which always, almost always, means a shorter game. On the surface, though, it looks as though it might be a deficit to, to pitchers, but that actually may be a good thing. So they're not throwing so many pitchers. Also, for hitters and fans, I think it's, I think it's going to be beneficial for what I just said. You know, you're going to be encouraged to put the ball into play. And, and as a result, it's going to be more exciting to watch. Right? Now, this one I completely am on board with. Number three, the third new rule, they, they have uh, no need to throw four pitches to issue an intentional walk. I think this is great because, as you know, f four balls is a walk. Um, although there is the occasional mistake that a pitcher will make, like when Manny, I think it was Manny Ramirez, hit one of those intentional walk balls into play, the intentional walk is probably the most boring aspect of baseball. It happened, I think, once in about every five games last uh, season. But it's, uh, it's, it's really quite boring. If they declare that they're going to intentionally walk the guy, and then they have to throw four pitches out of the strike zone in order to walk him, I mean, there's going to be, if there's a runner on base, nobody's going to be stealing because the catcher is already standing up. You're, you're a sitting duck. They're barely taking a lead off first base. So instead of throwing four more pitches, why don't you just say, hey, I'm going to intentionally walk you. And then go down to first base and take your base. That's actually going to be a good thing. And, and, and I'm glad it's going to be shorter in time for a baseball game because, like I said, that's, like, really boring to watch that. I wish it was gone altogether. I wish the intentional. I wish they could just take out intentional walks altogether. Like if you don't like who's up at bat, if you can't pitch to him, if you don't like the situation that you're in, tough. You should have to pitch to that guy. That's when it's going to get interesting. So, you know, maybe that'll be down the line. But you know, for now, they are uh, getting rid of the four pitches to issue an intentional walk. They just need to declare it, I guess, and then the guy gets to take the base. But I would like to see over time that the intentional walk is, is um, going to get rid of the intentional walk. Someone just said you should have to pitch to everyone. Yep. Yeah, you should. You should have to. And then, now the probably the most controversial rule out of all of them is that uh, starting extra innings with a runner already on second base. I mean, it might be shocking to the baseball world, but it's already being done at youth levels of softball. They, they start, I think it's after, I think it's after like the ninth inning, you put a runner on second. You know, because softball's like seven innings, then you play eight, nine, and still nothing happens. Then you put a runner on, on second base. And that's going to put pressure on teams to begin to do the little things right again. Here, the small ball, going back to small ball, right? So here's what you do. The way to win, the key to success, here's how you do it. So what they're going to propose is, first of all, this is going to start in the minor leagues and, and see the rookie ball leagues. But you, they're going to be able to put, you're going to have to put your, your ninth batter on second base. Then here's the key. Your first batter comes up to the plate. What do you do? You bunt them over to third. Okay? Now, oh, I assume there's going to be no outs in this situation. That guy from third can score on a multitude of different plays. Anything to the right side. A sack fly to the outfield. And, of course, by doing that, it's going to speed up the game. Even a wild pitch could mean the end of the game. So that's a pressure-filled situation, don't you think? And as long as both teams get a shot at it, I'm all for it. Because, like watching the Super Bowl, people... We're not happy. I was not happy with the NFL's overtime rule, which we saw in the Super Bowl. The Falcons, come on, you have to give them a chance to get to the ball. I don't like the rule that, you know, if it's a field goal, they get it, but if it's a touchdown, game over. No, let's see if the Falcons can go down the field and, and score a touchdown, right? If they don't ever get a chance to, to get the ball. I mean, it's so contingent on a coin toss. The NFL overtime is so contingent on a coin toss that it's almost not fair. Well, not that I'm saying I'm a Falcons fan. I'm just saying, or, or that I hate the Patriots. I'm just saying that it's just not fair. It's just not fair that one team gets to march down the field and score, and the other team doesn't even get a chance. They watch from the sideline. And, by the way, I, I could barely stay up past the seventh inning of baseball games, never mind, like, the 18th, you know, when these 
games go into the 18th innings, they run out of pitchers. What's the point of having a position player pitching anyway? What's the point? So I think I think the MLB is getting it right. I think because if they are instilling a pitch clock, that's my favorite one, a pitch clock. They're raising the strike zone. They're chopping intentional walks by four pitches. And they're starting extra innings with a runner already on base. I'm glad they're doing that. I saw somebody said that they liked the pitch clock idea. It's a great idea. I wonder how many seconds they're going to put on the pitch clock. I would think, I don't know. Like, what's, what's, uh, football, football's 40 seconds. <laughs> Someone said you sound like Francesa. Uh, is that a good thing? <laughs> or is that a bad thing? Basketball shot clock, 24 seconds. Is that right? 24 seconds. Football, 24, 25, right? And then football, you get 40 to call the play and to get to the line and hike the ball. Volleyball, you get five seconds to serve the ball. What do you think would be good for baseball? I think maybe like a 20-second clock. I think that's fine. You can agree as, as a pitcher with your catcher right off the bat. You, no pun intended. You, either you agree or you disagree, but it gives you time to disagree. But, see, my concern with the pitch clock is this. Now, as our base runner, you know, like, base runners could use that to their advantage because if you know there's only almost like a blitzing defender, if you know there's only you know, 15 seconds on the clock and the pitcher's already at 14, you know he's got to deliver the ball no matter what. So I wonder if the pitch clock is going to be, it's got to be, it's got to be refreshed after maybe a throw over to first base. Because otherwise, as a base runner, you wouldn't even be looking at the pitcher. You'd be looking at the clock in order to run. Because if you see that out of, let's say, 15 seconds, 14 have been used, well, then you're going to get a good jump. You're going to be able to steal a base especially from second to third. I wonder if they're going to put a clock visible to the pitcher, too. Because if it's not visible, then, you know, how do you know? And what happens if, yeah, and the other thing is going to be, what happens if the pitch is delivered after the clock expires, right? So someone said this would be a disaster waiting to happen. Clocks in baseball don't mix. So what do you do? So what do you do to speed up the game? I mean, actually, I thought it was a great idea to begin with, but now that I'm thinking and now I'm really thinking about this, I don't know if it's a, it is a good idea. It, you'd have to reset the clock after every throw over, you'd have to make it visible to everybody involved in the game. So you'd have to put a clock on, on the, in the front row, uh, right along the, those panelings, those advertisings. And what would be the penalty? It, someone said it's summertime, the game goes with the season. Yeah, but it's not just in summertime. It's also starting up soon, next week, I think. Pitchers and catchers are reporting soon. It does go through the summertime, but it also goes into the fall. Long days and long games, but... Yeah, what happens when in the fall you have to turn your clocks back, the World Series, things like that? I, ca I can't watch the end of a World Series game because I have to go to work. I have to get up early and go to work. Uh, I don't know. A-Rod also had a suggestion to make baseball great again. I think his idea was to have a 40-man roster in the beginning of the season, in April, maybe May, I think he might have said, and then get them down to 20 at the end of the season. The reason being that the players are, are stiffer, in the beginning of the season, so if you have more of them, it'd be easier on the pitchers when it's cold out. It's always been the beauty of the game. Time is allocated without, without, not time. Right. But if you could speed up that process just a little bit, I think I'm for it because, you know, if you, if you can't, you're going to lose a younger fan. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about the instant gratification fan. They're, they're worried about the younger fans that may or may not be tuning in. Why speed it up? It's not basketball, football. I'll tell you why. Because you're losing the younger fan. I see it every day. Snapchat. You send 10-second videos. Vine. You send 15-second videos. These kids, in, they're also starting to watch NFL Red Zone. Nobody is bothering to watch a full game of football anymore. They just want to have their fantasy team, and they want to look at you know, what's coming up, who's about to score, and, and that's it. And I think that someone said the younger fans need to adapt. I agree, but I don't think that's the way it's going to be. I think the, the, the networks and the leagues are starting to adapt to the, the fan. You saw it, NFL Red Zone. I was watching the other day, Nixon 60. I love that. Nixon 60? A whole Knicks game in 60 minutes. Loved it. You get the, the main points, the main storylines, everything. You get it all in 60 minutes. Great. Instead of sitting there for three and a half hours watching a Knicks game, which who would want to torture themselves with that? I mean, you get the 60 minutes, and and that's it. This is my show, 60-minute overtime. Why do you think I don't go for on for four hours here? Because I know nobody's going to listen to it. 
I shouldn't say nobody. There will be people that would listen to it. However, not many. You download something that's four hours long, you're like, oh, great. But if you download this and it's an hour long, or not even an hour and a half, it's perfect. It's, it's for a commute. What's next? Cut the Indy 500 back to 50 miles? Maybe a clock in golf? I can't watch golf. Maybe. But the Indy 500? Maybe. Indy 50? Who knows? But I think, uh, you know, baseball purists, I assume you're a baseball purist, might not like this. <laughs> Maybe they should just play three innings. Yeah, we'd have a starter, a reliever, and a closer. Three would work. I'm just being facetious. <laughs> Okay, what the f <laughs> So speaking of watching the replay, right? I'm watching the replay of the Patriots on-field celebration. And I come across this disgusting moment. Let me describe it for you, because I, I tweeted the picture, and I also put it on my Facebook. If you want to go and look at it, it's uh, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan or at Coach McCartan on Twitter. I did put the picture up. I see Tom Brady with his daughter in his arms kissing his father square on the mouth, on the lips. That's disgusting. You're a grown man. So I took to Twitter with the gross question of the day and a screenshot of it. I said, how old is too old to kiss your father on the lips? So people, Mike Mono, who was just on here before, said... I would never kiss my kids on their mouth, no reason to. Green Rose, 1954, wrote, never too old. At M-M-U-M-B-R-8, the day the child is born. Rob Franchise had a better uh, take on this. He said, um, maybe age three. Generic Mets fan said, one. So we, had, we, we spanned the gamut here of never to, I would never do it to never too old, and then people are actually giving numbers. So how old is too old to kiss your father on the lips? Because Tom Brady, how old is he, 39? Let's see, Tom Brady age. Tom Brady age. Tom Brady is 39 years old. Yeah, Tom Brady's 39 years old. He's kissing his father on the lips on national TV. <laughs> and we have people saying, I would never kiss my kids on the lips, to you're never too old, to, to people giving exact Days and numbers and years. It's concerning to me. I don't care who you are. That that's concerning to me. <laughs> Sixty minutes overtime. Hurry up, offense with Danielle McCartan. Jeffrey Loria, who bought the Marlins for two thousand in two thousand and two for one hundred fifty-eight million dollars, has reportedly reached an agreement to sell the team for one point six billion dollars 1.6 billion dollars that's a thousand percent profit the new york times has reported that joshua kushner is set to acquire the team you know that name because joshua is the older brother of jared kushner who's president trump's senior advisor and ivanka trump's husband in basketball the knicks are 0-2 after oakley's ejection friday night at the garden the knicks fell to the denver nuggets 131 to 123 Jokic. Nikola Jokic led all scorers with 40 points, and the Brooklyn Nets are off until Monday night when they welcome the Memphis Grizzlies to the Barclays Center. They are coming off a 108-99 loss to the Miami Heat, also at home. In hockey, after a five-day break, the New Jersey Devils will look to tame the San Jose Sharks in a matinee matchup this afternoon in Newark. The Sharks are looking to end a three-game losing skid. The New York Rangers extended their winning streak to five games with last night's 4-2 come-from-behind victory over the Colorado Avalanche. Henrik Lundqvist became the fastest goalie in NHL history to record 400 career wins That's in 727 games. Now moving to Canada, the New York Islanders were blanked by the Ottawa Senators 3-0. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that's your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. This is never before seen, never before heard. I had found this on my computer and totally forgot I had it. So uh, this is a good interview. This is myself and New York Giants. Super Bowl hero. You know him from being the catch, for making the catch. This is myself, Danielle McCartan, former New York Giant 
David Tyree. Daniel McCartney here with David Tyree. Lucky Strike, Midtown, 42nd Street. Uh, your annual uh, bowling event. Was this the fourth year for the charity bowl? Oh my goodness, man. Fourth or fifth, I can't even, you know, you know, since we resurrected, it's actually something I started as a, as a player and had a good three-year streak and had a delay. It's good to be back with children in the city. So what, the event here, you're raising all kinds of money. What does it go for? Absolutely. Children in the City is a tremendous organization that serves the uh, Sunset Park area of Brooklyn, New York. And it is really, uh, you know, a organization that has been just on the ground floor using education and outreach to break cycles of poverty in their, in their own community. So it's a grassroots organization for 30 years that has been desperately and, and, and profoundly impacting uh, generations of, uh, you know, of New York City residents. And you, of course, give a celebrity face to the name. I'm sure that does fundraising and things like that. No, it's, it's, it's like I said, you know, when you realize, you know, for me especially, you know, it's kind of one of those who much is given, much is required. And, um, you know, I've been given much in this life. I have a great life, had some great experiences through the game, you know, wife, seven children, and, uh, you know, this is still another opportunity to engage and try to use this platform for something better. And you look around and you see all your fellow Giants here. What does that mean to you to have even the new guys coming out to support you? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, get a, I, get, I had the great privilege of being back with the Giants for the last two years, a director of player engagement, and working with these guys day in and day out. And so I work very close with the rookies, so they, they get a little extra buy-in as far as being able to you know, just kind of share. They get the exposure um, from the ground level, and hopefully myself be an example of how important it is to touch the community, be a part of it, engage your fans. but. More importantly, uh, using, their, uh, using the platform that they're going to inherit to do something uh, impactful. So, play, uh, Director of Player Relations, what, what is your role, what is your responsibility within the team? Yeah, and player, player development, player engagement is basically kind of, I get a chance to really walk with these guys in life, on the field and off the field. So, I do everything from orienting the rookies and spending a large amount of time with that, with that group of players to the career transition, continuing education aspect, and making sure that they're becoming, you know, that they're kind of cultivating the character that can meet the demands of their reality, which is, which is, uh, 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 which is, which is really, it's really tough. It's demanding, and so um, I'm, kind of, I'm in a privileged position that, you know, to, to, to serve these guys in whatever capacity to get them what they need to be successful. He's a great role model. He's just listening to talk. Um, so if we could talk a little football. Sure. I know I was listening to you on ESPN last night. There's not one interview that goes by that you do not talk about the catch. But, man, let me tell you, I was having a, a Super Bowl party in my dorm room. And we were literally just jumping off of the couches. We thought that the, the campus was on fire. People were going crazy. Take me back to that play. Like, beginning, did you know the call was to you? And, and how did that unfold? Yeah. Probably well, Hurst, I believe it was uh, 76 Max Wysel Union, and uh, you know four wide receivers in the game. I knew there was a possibility. That means I have a post on the outside. Steve this run and out, breaking around. You know, just in case uh, you know, get him out of bounds. But if we get the right coverage, we can throw a post over the top. And none of that really matter because it turned into backyard ball with the pass rush. Thank the offensive line for not blocking anybody. Um, and it just turned into uh, that pure spontaneity. Who wants it more kind of, you know, kind of playing experience. So it has been, you know, it, 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 it's something that no one can ever really write up, imagine, predict. And, um, you know, for me, I knew it was a gift from God. So um, I just kind of stood there in that chariot to fire moment, made the play, and, you know, it, it became history. Eli looked like he was going down. I'll tell you, the guy, the guy had one hand on his jersey. I was like, well, there goes the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's the whole thing. What makes it so amazing, the play itself, is there's so many aspects to it that are just, you know, Eli doing what he did. You know, I mean, like, he looked like Michael Vick out there. He's not too mobile. No, we know, we know that. You know, that's been well documented. You know, he used to trip over his own feet half the time. And, and I probably had the worst vertical jump for a wide receiver. So, you know, it's just kind of everybody um, seizing the moment and playing above the exit note. So it was special. And uh, so Spike Lee even made a movie about the catch. <laughs> How involved were you in the production of that? Yeah, I wish I could have been more involved. Now, that's Spike Lee. I mean, this is a legendary uh, producer, director. And um, it was it was, uh, it was kind of just an honor. I didn't know exactly what was going to become of that interview process. And it ended up becoming a, I thought it was just going to be a halftime segment at the Super Bowl. It ended up becoming a documentary, which was really neat. Right. Um, you know, so I, got, I felt a little special. I got a chance to do the Tribeca thing, and that was, that was, that was neat. But... Um, like I said, when you think about, you know, I don't think about this. Life goes on, so you're just constantly moving in the speed of life. And um, so 
it's great that I have other people who appreciate it so much and kind of brings it back into the forefront. And uh, it's, it's for everybody. It's for New York. And your best career moment besides the catch. I'm going to take a guess. Was it the touchdown earlier on in that Super <laughs> Yeah. I can say that, that that was probably easier. It got so overshadowed. I tell people I have what they call the greatest catch in Super Bowl history, the most forgotten touchdown. But, um, but I've had some great ones. You know, obviously having the chance to be an all-pro special teamer, you know, as, as a special teamer. And uh, just being a part of something special is really great. Who has the most famous Giants catch? Is it you or is it Odell Beckham? What is your opinion on that? I would, I would say, I mean, like, you know, social media is directing the whole world right now. So I, I'm sure Odell's probably, you know, carries a lot more weight. But um, I let the people kind of speak to that, you know. And that's, that's the good thing about being in the conversation. It's just nice to be in the conversation. You know what? I just had this thought. They should put you on the cover of that. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they gave me, they didn't give me the cover, but I, you know, I know they gave me a little moment. Like, you know, I know people were making helmet catches in the game for a while, so I'll take it. So, all right, well, David Terry, have fun How's your bowling game, by the way? Yeah, you know, I'm a little rusty. You know, I'm a little rusty, but you know, I used to be about a 175 average. If I'm, if I'm looking to pull through some 140s, one, you know, if I get some 140s, 150s, I'll be happy. So you're talking with bumpers? No bumpers. <laughs> Shame on you. No. <laughs> Uh, that was at a David Tyree uh, Children of the City bowling event, if you, if you didn't catch that. And uh, that was, I think, featured on BackSportsPage.com, if Randy did put that up there. Um, and I can't believe I forgot about that. I totally forgot about that interview. He was he was really, really great. I, I really enjoyed talking with him. And, yeah, I, yes, I do. I, I still use bumpers. I don't know if you guys listening or watching still use bumpers, but I need them. And, and I also need to win so that's why I need the bumpers. <laughs> so moving on to some Super Bowl 51 reactions. Let's see. The Luke Bryan National Anthem, it was slow, but I thought it was very good. Lady Gaga's halftime show was absolutely perfect. There were no politics. She kept it about the music. And I was right. The drones in performing on the roof. I wasn't right about the score of the game, but I was absolutely on target with Lady Gaga's halftime show, if I do say so myself. Now let's move over to the game. The game, uh, like I said before, like I alluded to before, was very one-sided until third, fourth, pretty much the fourth quarter. And the Patriots did come out on top. Here's what Matt Ryan, the quarterback of the Falcons, had to say to fans. He posted this video to his Twitter. Everyone, I just want to take a minute to, to thank you all for the amazing support you guys showed us this season. I know I speak on behalf of all of my teammates uh, when I say we really appreciate it. You guys helped us out. We're amazing during the Dome, during the playoffs. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to next year uh, listening to you guys make Mercedes-Benz Stadium really, really loud and an incredible home field advantage for us. Uh, in the meantime, let's make sure uh, we're getting it loud for the Hawks and the Braves and our newest team, the Atlanta United. Uh, and I look forward to rising up next year with all of you. So he says that wearing an Atlanta Braves hat. So now, did the Patriots really win the game, or did the Falcons just lose the game? Well, let's let's look at the facts, as I always like to do. the The lead was was twenty five points with eighteen minutes left to play. The Falcons, Falcons had the lead with twenty five points by twenty five points with eighteen minutes left to play in the game. Right? That's like unheard of. That's like you know a win. That's locked up. So. Then the Patriots score 31 unanswered points to win the game. I think, in my own opinion, that the Falcons lost the game. How on earth do you blow the biggest lead in NFL Super Bowl history? How do you do it? And they had him right where they wanted him. Kyle Shanahan, who's the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, now he's going to be the 49ers' new head coach, he calls a pass play. Here's the turning point of the game for me. He calls a pass play. With 8.31 remaining on a third and one. The result? The worst possible scenario. Matt Ryan, who you just heard from, fumbled the ball. Not only do you give the Patriots the ball at your own 25-yard line, you also give them over 30 more seconds on the clock. I think everybody watching that game was just yelling at the TV, just run the ball in that situation. Come on, man. That was a turning point of the game because then if you run the ball, first of all, you have a chance of getting a first down. It's only one yard. And with the two running backs that they have, Freeman and Coleman, it's pretty much a given, don't you think? And by running the ball, at least one play, if you don't get it, you take 30 seconds off the clock. 
However, if you get a first down, that game is over because then you force the Patriots to lose. They had three timeouts at that point. You force the Patriots to use three consecutive timeouts in a row, and you can't score whatever it was, 25 points with no no, uh, no timeouts left. So Kyle Shanahan, I, I believe, blew the game for the Falcons because after that, it was just a total and complete momentum shift after that fumble, and, and, and I think they got a touchdown off that. Um, and sure, there was Edelman's catch, of course. However, it should not have gotten to that point, right? You know, you know, we're talking late game heroics and David Tyree. It shouldn't have gotten to that point. And let's just reiterate this, Pat's Nation. This is for you. We in New York know a little bit about miraculous catches too, and I think you do too. They came against your team. In the Super Bowl. Probably well Hurst, I believe it was um, 76 Max Y Sale Union. 76 Max Y Sale Union. That's what we say to that, Edelman's catch. That's what we say in this area. So there's a debate going on on my Twitter. My question is who has the best catch in New York Giants history? We've had some votes, some retweets, and some people saying easily Tyree. David Tyree is in the lead. 78% to Odell Beckham's 22%. And if you don't remember Odell Beckham's catch, how do you not? But anyway, it was against the Cowboys, and he leaned totally, totally back. I mean, he wasn't even looking at the ball when he caught it. One hand behind him. I'm trying to demonstrate on, on the, the live feed here. My headphones are going to fall off. He, he leaned back. He caught it in his, like, three fingertips, and it was for a touchdown, and it was a defensive pass interference call, too. So, you know, both incredible. I asked David Tyree about the catch, about if he has the best catch in Giants history, or if it's Odell Beckham. Who has the most famous Giants catch? Is it you, or is it Odell Beckham? What is your opinion on that? I would, I would say, I mean, like, you know, social media is directing the whole world right now. So I, I'm sure Odell's probably, ca you know, carries a lot more weight. But um, I'll let the people kind of speak to that, you know. I, and that's, that's the good thing about being in the conversation. It's just nice to be in the conversation. Yeah, it's just nice to be in the conversation. But then, maybe not long after that, I had interviewed David Tyree. I caught up with Amani Toomer, who was on the team, and here's what he had to say to the same question. I want to ask you, having played uh, in the Super Bowl with Eli Manning, who has the more iconic um, catch in Giants history? Is it David Tyree or is it Odell Beckham Jr.? David Tyree, you know, it's not yeah. even a good question. Because the fact that he's the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, and it was the catch that propelled us to win the Super Bowl. The game that Odell Beckham made, that catch, they lost. So we've talked about this before. We talked about the winning losing thing. Yeah. That's a, that's big with me. Oh yeah. If you win, it's a little bit more. So I asked Tyree the same question actually. He said it depends on the situation, which situation you want to look at it in. I know. Not gonna say mine. I know. How would it look? Yeah. Yeah. I I told him they should do a a, a Madden a, a Madden cover with him like a, a retro Madden cover with him doing the the helmet it's, catch. That's sad that you just said retro. Well, you know, <laughs> anniversary edition. <laughs> Basically, you're just saying old. I mean, not really. No, what year was that? That wasn't that. Oh man, so I, I inadvertently called him on a tumor old. No, I didn't really mean to do that. He was great though. So, you know, the, the poll is up on my Twitter at Coach M C C A R T A N. Let's refresh, see if anybody has voted. Uh, no, it's still 78% Tyree, 22% Odell Beckham Jr. You know, and and just to wrap up Super Bowl talk, which team has a better shot of making it to back to the big game? Well, you know. I'm going to say not the Falcons because Kyle Shanahan, who their offensive coordinator was, was great throughout the entire season. Kyle Shanahan is leaving to go to the 49ers. They have all kinds of coaches that are exiting their, their system. They're, they're going to be in transition. They're going to a new stadium. So which team has a better shot of making it back to the big game? My money's on the Patriots, no doubt. No doubt it's going to be Patriots getting back to the big game over the Falcons. All right, so let's welcome in Texas Christian University's newest Horn Frog to 60-minute overtime, Michael Onyemobi. First, congratulations. Thank you so much. February 1st was National Signing Day. What's today? Today's February 12th. For the listeners, I just want you to give them a sense of 
the number of and the caliber of schools that were interested in you? That's what the 23 offers, um, uh, all power five schools, Pac-12, uh, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12. It was a good process. Now, your, your final few, you, you narrowed it down because I've been following you on Twitter. Your final few were? I got down, I actually got down to three. I was at four, four, or I was at five for a little bit, got down to three. My final three ended up being uh, TCU, Nebraska, and Iowa State University. Now, after all that, what made TCU stand out for you? Well, TCU had everything I was looking for at the institution. Uh, from first and foremost, a spiritual standpoint, um, they gave me into a program where I had the opportunity to get on the field early and compete in a conference like the Big 12 where they throw football around all the time, giving me the opportunity to make plays. Uh, also, the academic excellence of the institution it was just all around a great fit. It's a great segue because what are you going to be studying there besides football? Um, for my major going in is it's probably going to be entitled being business administration and sports management. Um, that's what's going right, like right now, or it's going to be legal studies and sports management. So you are sports through and through, huh? Do you know the story behind them being called the Horn Frogs? I don't know. You don't? Okay, so I'm going to tell you. You need to know this when you get to campus. Here's the story. In 1873 when the founders of the college and the university stepped on the land that the, was going to be the future football field, they saw horned frogs all over the, the grass in the field. And that's, yeah, they decided right then and there that's going to be the mascot. Jeez. <laughs> that's incredible. So that, that's going to be your story when you go to campus. You'll, uh, you'll impress people with that. <laughs> so what, what is the significance behind the, the hashtag, hashtag CarterBoy17? The significance behind Carter boys, I mean, I'm on G Carter first and foremost. I know that that's a big influential figure in the entire TCU football program or the institution as a whole. Um, clearly, I've been in the stadium after the mayor. So, uh, more so, I'm up as more so paying respects or or uh, just the entire, just adopting the culture and, and, and adopting um, a founding foundation, you know, and taking that and running with it. Um, and this has been year after year, Carter boys, 15, 16, and now we're up 17. So now they get starting on 18. But all in all, we are Carter boys. So I, I really mess with I like it a lot. <laughs> so, okay. So Ladanian Tomlinson is a, a TCU grad, and he was just announced as the uh, NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame candidate. Also, Andy Dalton, as you know, quarterback of the Bengals, is also a TCU grad. Have any of the alumni reached out to you to congratulate you on, on your signing? Absolutely. I've had, I mean, it's been kind of blown up in terms of alumni hitting me up afterwards. Um, I have not spoken to LT. That's one person that I do want to talk to. <laughs> For sure. That's somebody I'm, I'm watching week in and week out. That would have been incredible to be able to have an opportunity to speak for him. Now, you said that uh, we were talking briefly last night. Uh, LT influenced your jersey number change? How did that happen? That's funny. That's a funny situation. Actually, growing up, I used to always watch throwbacks with some of my brother of LT back when he was at TCU and the Reggie Bush back when he was at SC. So, and then number five was very influential to me in terms of taking my team number at an early age. And it's kind of crazy because, I mean, this year I was sitting in Coach P's office, like, what's up with the jersey number five? But he was talking to me and we knew that he was getting ready to get inducted into the Hall of Fame story, so I had to retire the number. But uh, for me, you know, that's it. It's huge even being able to look at that, in a sense, but much more aware of it. That's another thing to pay respect, you know, and that's a legend, and that's his number, and he's, he's, he's done what nobody else could have possibly done in that thing, so. You seem to have a great, I mean, you're a young guy. You have a great outlook on, on all of this, really. Very mature. Thank you. So, now, I, I was looking up some stats on you. You're listed as a cornerback and a wide receiver. Uh, first, which do you like better? And second, where do you see yourself fitting into TCU's scheme just a little bit better? Um, I mean, at the high school level, everybody likes catching the ball. Everybody likes making plays. But I do understand the fact that I have a higher ceiling on the defensive side of the ball. Um, just as far as, far as my technique goes and, and my coverage ability, also my ability to come down and lay hat. But um, fitting as far as fitting in the TCU scheme, I think that, that I fit perfectly as a defensive back, whether that be a corner, a nickel, or a safety. Um, I'm longer um, physical, so I'm able to, um, and I'm fast, so I'm able to keep up with receivers in the Big 12. That's part of the reason why Coach uh, recruited me the way that they did. They wanted to add some length to the secondary without having to sacrifice speed. So, 
think both of those to the team makes it pretty versatile. And having the knowledge of being a wide receiver, running routes and things like that has to help you, right, in coverage? Absolutely. You know, like that's just that's certain things that you know while being coached by a receiver, just just the little things, kind of like the basics. I mean, you run against inside break and route, you're going to release inside. You run at the outside break and route, you're going to release outside. And it's just those little things that kind of help you at corners. You already kind of know where he's going in a sense. Off his release of the ball, you know, it's kind of like mirroring yourself when you think about it. So it's a great, it's a great thing to be able to kind of have a good idea of where they'll be going. Yeah. So now TCU finished fifth out of ten teams in the Big Twelve in 2016. Where do you expect, or what do you expect for 2017, both on the field and off the field, for a program like TCU? And I, to be completely honest with you, I took all my trips. I took my trips to higher institutions academically, such as like UCLA, Cal all of the different kinds of places, but um, I, with the kind of academic support that they have there, off the field, I truly expect nothing short of having a handful of academic All-Americans out of that football program, especially with the great class that we're bringing in this year. Um, and on the field, to be completely honest, is you're expecting nothing less of a Big 12 championship because we got some dogs coming in this year that will be able to make an instant impact. And under Coach G and our, uh, Coach P and um, him bringing in Coach Dykes, bringing another uh, kind of wrestling guy calling plays. Um, saw what he did over at Cal, opening up the offense. And just those kind of things. Because Pete, being a defensive-minded coach, I believe that the sky is going to be limited there, so we should be able to take it as far as we, we desire to. Out of all the people that had reached out to you, and I'm seeing the overwhelming you know, response to, to your signing on Twitter, um, who made you, like, when, when someone reached out to you, who was the person that you kind of sat back and said, wow, that was kind of cool? <laughs> There was a handful of people that that did, but I think the most, to be completely honest with you, I don't even think that it was one of the bigger or celebrity-type status people. The biggest one to me probably was Henry um, from Coach Dykes. Uh, I think it was kind of crazy when he reached out and congratulated me. Because knowing how things were when, when he was recruiting me over at Cal, we were together there, we saw the future very bright over at Cal, and then... I don't know that things kind of worked out the way that they did with both of us setting up at TCU. And when you reach out to me talking about, you know, you're a horn frog now, congratulations. You know, God works out in mysterious ways. Kind of blew my mind, you know, and it really did shake me up. It shook my family up, too. But it was a great job. It was an absolute great job. So when it's all over at TCU, your four years are up, or five even, where do you see yourself? I see myself getting a job to play in the NFL. Does that be after three or four? I don't know if I may take. I see myself playing in the NFL. Is there a particular team? No, right? Nah. <laughs> All right. So, um, I, you know, I'm going to play the TCU fight song here. Uh, I just want to wish you the best of luck. Um, I'll be watching your proce- progress for sure from Absolutely. from here from New Jersey and, and wishing you the best of luck. <laughs> All right. And thanks for coming on. Keep in touch, huh? great he's a he's a great kid very mature so i wish him the best of luck like i said and uh follow him tcu he's gonna be a big star one day no doubt i i you know just listening to him talk i have i have no doubt okay so that was a tcu fight song by the way that's for for him he's gonna hear that lots of times i'm sure over the next couple of years uh and finally the final topic of the day uh is going to be that this there are six new england patriots that are not going to make the trip to the white house the original dissenters were defensive back Devin McCourty and tight end Mark Tellis Bennett, and they cited uh, grave political differences between themselves and, and our current government, a na- federal, national government. And uh, the night of the Super Bowl, Devin McCourty texted, I guess it was Time Magazine, uh, he said, quote, I'm not going to the White House. Basic reason for me is I don't feel accepted in the White House. With the president having so many strong opinions and prejudices, I believe certain people might feel accepted, while others there won't. Defensive end Chris Long said he planned on skipping, but he hadn't been asked, and he's not joining anybody. Took personal offense to that question. Uh, next, running back 
Garrett Blunt said, quote, I will not be going to the White House. I don't feel welcome in that house, and I'll leave it at that, end quote. Defensive tackle Alan Branch said he's just going to spend time with his family instead. And linebacker Dante Hightower said, uh, quote, been there, done that. He also did not go in 2014. So, you know, that, that been there, done that kind of kind of rang true with me because remember when I had interviewed uh, Ryan Grant when he won the Super Bowl with the Packers? Here's what he had to say. If you don't remember, here's what he had to say. The White House to visit Obama, President Obama? Yes, I did. So yes, what was I that did. like? He's a diehard Bears fan, and it's a division rival. Was that ever awkward down there? Uh, it was, no, it wasn't awkward. He, you know, he, he gave his little jabs here and there and everything, but um, it was cool. You know, it was an it was a interesting experience. We had to wait a long time, but it, it was cool though. I'm glad I did it. So I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd do it again, but no? I'm glad I did it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've experienced it, so I don't know if it's necessarily to experience it twice. He said, you know, I really don't know if I can experience it twice. So, you know, Dante Hightower, it's the same. That that quote rang true immediately. I thought of Ryan Grant when he told me that. So, you know, my reaction to this, so what? You know, so what? Um, I do, again, still reaffirm the fact that players should stay out of politics. However, visiting the White House is not mandatory. Like, so what? So what? They're not going. It's not, they don't have to. It's not mandatory. And I do wish, like I just said, I've said it on here before, that all athletes keep their political opinions to themselves. Do what you do on the field and and excel that way. And in that sense, this should just stop being a story. Who cares? Six Patriots are not going to the White House. Who cares? Who cares? So I just wanted to uh, tell the listeners, to you guys and everybody watching on Facebook and Periscope, uh, send me your questions. for if you got, If you are a diehard Rangers fan, Please, I, I, I'm dying to hear from you. I'm going to be talking with Henrik Lundqvist uh, next Saturday night, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, I, I just want to ask him your questions. So if you have any for Henrik Lundqvist, you can uh, send them to me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. Also, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Just leave them in the comments. I'll grab them. A uh, couple already have come through, a couple good ones, and... Lenny keeps asking a, a, a wise but kind of question. His, he wants me to ask Henrik Lundqvist, who is a, the legendary New York Rangers goalie, fastest to 400 wins at, in last night's win. Um, he wants me to ask, Lenny wants me to ask Henrik Lundqvist, how does he serve drinks to people that come over his house because he doesn't have any cups? Like Stanley, cups, get it? But no, I'm not going to be asking him that unless he's like a uh, has a has a good personality. Maybe I'll, I'll maybe ask that. But if he's real serious and it's real rushed and it's real crowded, absolutely not. <laughs> Quick wrap up. What do we talk about first? Was Charles Oakley and the Knicks? Charles Oakley and the Knicks and, and what it means for the Knicks moving forward, which uh, does not look good. I'll be honest with you. It does not look good for the future of the Knicks. Uh, We talked about the gross question of the day. Tom Brady, at 39 years old, kisses his father on the lips. Ew. That was the what the F story. We talked about the MLB's new rules. We dissected them. We talked uh, about them at length. Uh, There were the four new rules. I gave you the the sports update. We had Super Bowl 51 reactions. Uh, All these papers are a mess. We had, uh, what else? The debate, which is still raging on on my Twitter, who has the best catch in New York Giants history? Is it David Tyree or is it Odell Beckham Jr.? We just You just heard six Patriots are not making the trip to the White House. I'm sure more to come. What else? What else? What else? Uh, Spike Lee, yeah. And all the NBA players are chiming in about Charles Oakley. Oh, Taylor Lewin, the Titans Pro Bowl left tackle, said that the NFL should take a page out of the NHL book and let them fight. Uh Weighed in on that. Under Armour CEO Kevin Plank is under fire from Stephen Curry, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Misty Copeland. And uh, guests today, Super Bowl champion New York Giant David Tyree and uh, Michael Onyemobi, the newly minted Texas Christian University horned frog. I think they go like this, like a, like a longhorn. I think that's their sign. And then just some commentary from Amani Toomer and from Ryan Grant. So we had a chock-full show today, as I promised this morning. That's it. So you guys can send me your questions. If you think of anything for Henrik Lundqvist, you can send them to me. And uh, and I appreciate it. So thanks to everybody checking me out on Periscope and also in the future to the replay viewers. Thank you. 
And uh, for those of you guys on, on Facebook Live, thanks for checking me out. Always appreciate it. Appreciate the, um, the couple guys that were on Periscope that were being very, very vocal. That that's always makes the show a little bit better. And, you know, it is just me here working the board. I'll show you that. There's the board that I work, that I do at the same time as every time, uh, every week. And just a quick shout out to my work, prosportsrundown.com. I'm going to put some articles up this week. I do want to do a little bit, a little special on, uh, on Michael. I do want to have an article about, you know, a bunch of the topics that we talked about this week. So that's going to be my goal. That's going to be my goal. My goal is going to be to take the main topics of the week and incorporate them in, into writing. <laughs> oh, I just cut off my face on there. So, okay. So prosportsrundown.com, heads up this week. To look at a couple articles from there. I'll be posting Twitter at Coach McCartan, soundcloud.com slash Coach McCartan, on demand. This is going to be turned into an on-demand podcast on iTunes. Just search Coach Space McCartan, tune in radio, type in 60-minute overtime, and play.google.com for the Android people. And you're going to search Coach McCartan with no spaces, though. No spaces on that. And right now, again, video simulcast on Periscope and on Facebook Live. Check in with you guys next week. Same time, same place. Sunday, 11 a.m. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.